Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz and on 11925 kilohertz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu. In studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, an Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. Cameroon deploys more troops along its border with Central African Republic. And UN says at least 40 people have been killed in recent violence in Venezuela. In economics news, Botswana remains committed to d- diversifying the economy. And in sports news, Ivory Coast agrees to host the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF party has launched a scathing attack against South Africa's opposition DA leader Musi Maimani. This follows Maimani's announcement on Monday that the party will approach the International Criminal Court to investigate the Zimbabwean government. Zimbabwe is not a signatory to the Rome Statute and is not obliged to cooperate with the court. ZANU-PF says Maimani has assumed what it terms an aggressive posture for the Gallery, when the government of Zimbabwe has an open-door policy to citizens and the international community. Members of South Africa's ruling ANC's National Executive Council met with ZANU-PF Politburo officials in Harare on Tuesday. ZANU-PF spokesperson Simon Moyo says liberation organizations in the SADC region must continue to support each other. All sister former liberation movements must work as a collective in support of the Zimbabwean cause. G, that the parties are concerned with the proliferation of opposition political parties and civil society organizations, that is the NGOs, which is aimed at destabilizing and subsequently dislodging all former liberation movements from governing power. Meanwhile, South Africa's ruling ANC says it will not support sanctions under regime change in Zimbabwe. ANC head of campaigns, Fiki Lembalula, says his party will not take sides in the crisis. We are supporting the people of Zimbabwe. We are not taking sides because the solution must come out of the people of Zimbabwe. We can't support regime change when there was a democratic election that took place. 
We need Zimbabweans to prosper so that they don't come to South Africa in their droves and then we start to be xenophobic and call them names. Zimbabweans are here because there is no employment in Zimbabwe. The economy of Zimbabwe must flourish. It's in our interest. My man says there must be sanctions. He supports anarchy and democratic means. We are not supporting that. Prosecutors in Belgium have asked for the DNA samples of 15 children who were adopted from the Democratic Republic of Congo since 2013 as part of an investigation into human trafficking and abductions from the DRC. Belgium couples say they took the children in good faith from the Tumani orphanage in the DRC's capital, Kinshasa. The BBC's Mike Sanders reports. Belgian prosecutors have already discovered four cases of fraudulent adoptions, all centre on the Tumani orphanage. In one case, the orphanage allegedly changed the name and birth date of a seven-year-old boy kidnapped in 2013. Belgian investigators established his true identity through a DNA sample and a photo of his twin brother. Congolese parents say they thought they were sending their children to summer camp. The Belgian Congolese director of the now-defunct orphanage, Julien Mpemba, is under formal investigation in Belgium. She denies wrongdoing. The Mozambican parliament has lifted the immunity of former finance minister and serving MP Manuel Chang, held in South Africa since December under an international arrest warrant issued by the U.S. Chang was arrested on a U.S. extradition request for his alleged involvement of fraudulent loans to state firms. Facing extradition requests from both the U.S. and his home country, Chang has enjoyed automatic immunity as a lawmaker. The request to withdraw immunity was initiated by the Mozambican Attorney General's Office and the Supreme Court last week. Chang returns to court in South Africa on Thursday to know the outcome of his bail application. And finally, authorities in Brazil say the death toll from the collapse of a dam has risen to 84, with 276 people still unaccounted for as search operations continue. Meanwhile, the mining company at the center of the tragedy, Vali, has announced that it will shut down a number of dams similar to the one that collapsed last Friday. Waste from an iron ore mine engulfed the surrounding areas in a sea of sludge. Five people were arrested on Tuesday as investigations continue into the cause of the collapse. The BBC's Julia Canero reports. Five days after the dam collapse, Valley Chief Executive Fabio Schwarzman has promised to shut down the company's 10 remaining dams that still operate with the model used in Brumadinho and in Mariana, the scene of another collapse three years ago. These are the so-called upstream tailing dams. The system is less costly but failed in the two occasions. He says the process will take three years and will cost over a billion dollars. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The United Nations says at least 40 people have been killed in recent violence in Venezuela, with hundreds if not thousands detained by the country's security apparatus. 
This comes as the United States, joined by several regional states, recognized the opposition leader of the National Assembly as interim president, labeling President Nicolas Maduro illegitimate following last May's disputed election and his inauguration for a second term earlier this month. While Russia, China and South Africa continue to back the Maduro government, Washington imposed sweeping new sanctions on the Venezuelan state-owned oil company, the toughest financial punitive measures so far against Maduro. Show and Bryce Peace reports from the United Nations in New York. On January 23rd, the day opposition leader Juan Guaido declared himself interim president, at a protest on the streets of Caracas, hundreds were detained, while dozens have died over the course of the political standoff gripping the country. Rupert Colville is spokesperson for the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. In total, I think we have some just over 40 people uh, believed to have been killed in different manners so far. This includes at least 26 people reported to have died after allegedly being shot by security forces or members of pro-government armed groups during the demonstrations between the 22nd and the 25th of January. Uh, at least five additional people also allegedly killed by security forces during illegal house raids in poor neighborhoods. Uh, these raids usually take place a few hours after the protests uh, take place in those same neighborhoods. The United Nations says it believes at least 850 people were detained between the 21st and 26th of January, which includes some 77 children, some as young as 12 years old. The world body, meanwhile, is also considering a letter sent by Juan Guaido requesting urgent humanitarian assistance for the country, including food and medicine, as concerns of high levels of violence continue to grow, while... Over 3 million Venezuelans have fled the country due to dire economic conditions. In Washington, more economic pressure to tighten the financial screws on Maduro. Listen to Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. Treasury took action against Venezuela's state-owned oil company, PDVSA, to help prevent the further diversion of Venezuela's assets by former President Maduro. The United States is holding accountable those responsible for Venezuela's tragic decline. We will continue to use all of our diplomatic and economic tools to support interim President Guaido, the National Assembly, and the Venezuelan people's efforts to restore their democracy. While U.S. military action has not been taken off the table, as National Security Advisor John Bolton explained. I call on all responsible nations to recognize Interim President Guaido immediately. Maduro has made clear he will not recognize Guaido or call for new elections. Now is the time to stand for democracy and prosperity in Venezuela. I reiterate that the United States will hold Venezuelan security forces responsible for the safety of all U.S. diplomatic personnel, the National Assembly, and President Guaido. Any violence against these groups would signify a grave assault on the rule of law and will be met with a significant response. Russia has warned that the new sanctions violate international law and has labeled the U.S. moves a blatant attempt at regime change in a sovereign state. South Africa, for its part, has expressed itself against any attempts at undue or unconstitutional change of government in Venezuela. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pease in New York.
Cameroon's military has announced new troop deployments to contain spillover from fighting inside Central African Republic border. Cameroon is also contributing more than 1,000 troops to the 13,000-strong UN peacekeeping mission. Mugi Kinzaga reports from the Central African Republic town of Busangoa. More than 200 people listened to Gaston Guilla, an official of the Basongwa Council in the Uham Prefecture in Western CAR, as he assures the crowd in the Sango language that forces of the multidimensional United Nations peacekeeping operation in Central Africa Minuska will track a group of armed men that attacked their locality Friday night. Bosangwa Mayor Pierre Denamge says Friday's attack, which local residents say left six people wounded and caused many to flee their homes for safety, indicates the population and peacekeeping forces should remain on high alert. The town has not had an attack in the past six weeks, and Denamge says this is because Cameroonian troops, who constitute the bulk of peacekeeping force, are doing a good job. La population félicite les gens, gens he says the people of CAR are satisfied with the work done by the Cameroon military, especially as villagers can continue farming fishing and hunting with no fear of harassment and traders also can go to their shops because they know they have protection from the troops under the UN peacekeeping mission. He says everyone is happy that peace is returning and chaos is being reduced. 40-year-old cattle rancher Ahmed Mamudu says the magnitude of the attack indicates the armed rebels are not ready yet to lay down their weapons. He says the population was helpless and running in all directions when indiscriminate and heavy shooting began on the premises of villages Catholic Church. He says members of his self-defense group decided to withdraw and alert the military because they could tell the attackers were more heavily armed. Many people have fled the area since 2013 and deserted streets and burnt roofs are a stark reminder of the violence the Central African town had witnessed before the arrival of the UN troops. U.S. citizen Kenneth Glock the UN's Deputy Special Representative and Deputy Head of MINUSCA says if the stability that has been established since last year continues, refugees and internally displaced persons can start to return to the western part of the country. This is the part of the country where exactly we've seen the greatest progress towards peace and stability and in great part because of the efforts of the Cameroonian soldiers and officers and, and policemen. We see in the west of the country a real progress towards stabilization which should allow during 2019 the gradual return of refugees and displaced persons. Since 2013, thousands have been killed in CAR and a quarter of the population of 4.5 million people have fled their homes. Last Thursday, peace talks to end chronic violence in the Central African Republic began in Khartoum, 
with representatives of the government and 14 armed groups in attendance, according to the UN peacekeeping mission in the CAR. The UNP's mission is comprised of more than 13,000 troops and police, and Cameroon contributes more than 1,000 troops. Other pockets around the country are held by militias who say they are defenders of a particular community or religious group, but they often fight over mineral wealth. The conflict began in 2013 when a mainly Muslim rebel movement called the Seleka overthrew President Francois Bozizé, a Christian. That move triggered the rise of a predominantly Christian militia called the Antibalaka. Cameroon's military sings as it also deploys to Garwa Bulai, the border town with CAR. The soldiers say that besides fighting to bring peace to CAR, they also must fight to stop the spillover of the crisis from neighboring countries, including the robberies and kidnappings that are on the rise. Armed groups from the CAR have been stealing supplies and taking dozens of people hostage for ransom. Cameroon also is mobilizing troops along the country's northern border with Nigeria to fight Boko Haram terrorists and in the western English-speaking regions where separatists have been fighting to create an English-speaking state. The military has not given any official announcement, but it is believed both their resources and military are already stretched. Let's go back in time to today in 2007. The United Nations' first woman-only peacekeeping contingent made up of about 100 Indian police women arrive in Liberia to join the 15,000-strong peacekeeping force in the West African country. Today in History, 2007. South Africa's ruling ANC says it is worried that 6 million out of the 9 million unregistered voters are young people under the age of 30. The governing party had reflected on the voter registration weekend at a media briefing in Johannesburg on Tuesday. It also unveiled plans for its provincial manifesto launches with the one in Kimberley on Saturday expected to be addressed by President Cyril Ramaphosa. Ndebo Mugobo has more. Although 81% of the over 703,000 potential voters who registered this weekend to vote in the forthcoming elections are young people, the ANC is not happy that 6 million more young people of voting age across the country didn't register. And now the governing party has vowed to mobilize these young people to hit the call and register before the voters' roll closes when the president proclaims the election date. ANC head of campaigns is Fikile Mbalula. Young people not registered, it is worrisome in a democracy. We've got to engage young people. It is important that we must continue to mobilize them, to talk to them, and make them believe in democracy. We want a society that young people can express themselves freely, but at the same time participating in democracy. Because participating in democracy and seeing value in democracy, it means you are patriotic. 
The governing party has also defended its election campaign strategy of showing off pictures of poor people in shakes and in squalor. Its detractors say the governing party is using the plight of poor people to garner votes. But Mbarula says they will not run a fake campaign and behave as if there is no inequality in South Africa. He says taking pictures with poor people is a constant reminder to the ANC government that the lot still needs to be done. We are campaigning in South Africa in areas where people still live in squalor and underdevelopment. We have built houses for people, but it's not enough. And we have never said that we have arrived. We campaign among those people. And when our volunteers take pictures and showcase the poverty of our people, it's a constant reminder in our campaign what we still need to do to change the lives of the people for the better. And we'll never defend that there is no expression of poverty in those particular pictures, but that's why we campaign. We are not going to run a fake campaign and behave like as if we live in a world where in which there is no inequality. On regional politics, Mbalula says they will not support sanctions and regime change in Zimbabwe. This follows DA leader Musima Imanis remarks that the ANC cannot be trusted to advance human rights in that country. Mbarula says they will not take sides in the crisis, but will support efforts to bring normalcy. We are supporting the people of Zimbabwe. We are not taking sides because the solution must come out of the people of Zimbabwe. We can't support regime change when there was a democratic election that took place. We need Zimbabweans to prosper so that they don't come to South Africa in their droves and then we start to be xenophobic and call them names. Zimbabweans are here because there is no employment in Zimbabwe. The economy of Zimbabwe must flourish. It's in our interest. My man says there must be sanctions. He supports anarchy and democratic means. We are not supporting that. We are working with Zimbabweans to find a solution to their challenges. Meanwhile, the ANC will hold its provincial manifesto launches in six provinces over the next two weeks following the national manifesto launch in Deben earlier this month. The Northern Cape manifesto launch will be addressed by President Cyril Ramaphosa on Saturday at Kembalis Khalishiwe Stadium. Initially, this is the place and province where the January 8th statement and the national manifesto launch were to take place, but they were subsequently moved to Deben to allow the ANC to deal with factional battles and political tension in KwaZulu-Natal. I am Tebu Mokobe in Johannesburg. Going back in time to today in 1948, Indian political and spiritual leader Mahatma Gandhi was shot and killed in New Delhi by a Hindu extremist. History, 1948. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg. Right here in South Africa, I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. 
It's 8.23 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa yesterday met public protector advocate Busisiwem Kwebani to discuss a payment of about $38,000 that was made towards Ramaphosa's election campaign by the corruption-accused facilities management company Busasa. Last week, Mkwebani said she would probe allegations that President Ramaphosa lied to Parliament about the 2017 campaign donation. A former Busasa Chief Operations Officer, Angela Agritzi, shed more light on the corrupt relationship between his former company and other government officials at the State Capture Commission. On his last day of his testimony, he admitted he was racist and apologized for it. A former President Jacob Zuma, a former SAA Chair Dudumieni, Minister of Water Affairs, and journalists were among many others fingered to have worked with Busasa on an assortment of corrupt activities. To talk to us more on this, we're now joined on the line by South African-based political analyst, Professor Dingigo Maduleke. Prof, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lulu. What a pleasure to speak to you. Now, Prof, oh yes, compliments of a new season and all the best for 2019. Compliments. Compliments to you and the team there. Thank you, Prof. Now, Prof, what do you make of Agrisi's testimony in its entirety? Were you shocked with some of the revelations that were brought forward? Well, I think it was shocking uh, insofar as we got a lot more detail than we we ever had as, as citizens of this country. The matter is itself very old. At least 10 years ago, some journalists broke the story of possible co- corruption inside or in the dealings between Busasa and government. So one can say that in of itself, that has been a surprise. But we didn't know as much details as uh, Agrisi alleges. And Agrisi alleges from a very high position inside of Busasa. It's not as if he was a cab driver or a cleaner. You know, he was high up there. So his allegations do shake uh, the the nation. Uh, But allegations they are. They still are just allegations. And I I don't know that, uh, uh, you know, his recent statement about being a racist uh, assist us in uh, attaching... um, as much value to some of his allegations as we did before. Now, the effect of some of these revelations on the South African people, especially considering that this year is an election year and we're just waiting for the date to be declared by the president. I think if, uh, if, if the political parties who are contesting the elections uh, could choose, especially the ANC, they wouldn't have had this at this time. They would have postponed it. Uh, I'm not so sure, though, that this is bad for citizens, uh, because citizens uh, do want to go into an ele- election with as much information as possible, beyond the information that will be provided to them by the adverts and the billboards, which we know is designed in a particular way. So. They do. This gives South African citizens an alternative narrative. Unfortunately, it's not an alternative narrative that is uh, decisive, uh, that is completely uh, uncontested, uh, that is uh, true in the capital, 
key sense of the word true, uh, but it is an alternative uh, narrative that, that, that we find. I think the political parties may suffer because of this, uh, not just aggressively, but the entire Zondo Commission um, testimonies. Now, Prof, uh, let's uh, now move uh, to the meeting, a very brief meeting um, uh, between uh, Advocate uh, Busisiu Mkwebane, the Public Protector, and South Africa's President um, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. What's your take on the reaction and uh, the, from the President's side with regards to um, a dealing with uh, this issue that has been brought to Parliament and his response initially and now with the advocate? looking into that matter? Well, again, you know, I think if the president could choose, this is not an issue he would, be, he would, he would love to be dealing with at this time. But clearly, uh, his cooperation with the public protector, and some, some reports even suggest that he requested the meeting uh, with the public protector. Uh, his cooperation shows that he is concerned about it, and that he would like to get it addressed uh, as quickly as possible. Because there is a level of confusion in the public mind, given that first he said that this donation was given to his son, and then later on, after his son had denied it, he then uh, said that he didn't have correct information. So, you know, if the public protector has or does receive a formal complaint or request, to investigate this, I suppose she will have to. Prof, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you. And that was Professor Tingiko Maluleka, a political analyst based at the University of Pretoria, joining us on the line. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.29 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our South Africa's Forum for Service Delivery, which claims to be among the country's top 10 political parties, has launched its election manifesto ahead of a 2019 general election. The 12-point manifesto was launched at the Mandela Community Hall in Hamanskral, north of Pretoria. Top in their manifesto is a call for all foreign nationals to return to their motherland with immediate effect. Neoma Guding felt this report. Drumming up support amid the looming 2019 general elections, the Forum for Service Delivery is using xenophobia to vow voters. Hundreds of F4SD members converged at Mandela Community Hall in Amaskral to hear the leader, Mbahare Kekana, lay down their plans. Kekana told cheering crowds that if voted into power, they will immediately instruct the foreign nationals to return to their homelands. Foreigners must leave the countries immediately. That is the top issue on our manifesto. Let them give us a space for 10 years, they will come back. All foreign nationals must leave us immediately. Foreign nationals who want to apply immigration must apply in their respective embassies in their country. If you are a foreigner or you want to come to South Africa, you must apply in your country to come here. And when you arrive here, you must stay in a camp, you must stay somewhere. 
Kekana promised his supporters that when in government, they will ensure that there is prosecution on gender-based violence and racism. Kekana says they will also enact laws that will allow those found guilty of gender-based violence as well as racism to be sentenced to jail for a period not less than 25 years. Those people who are not respecting our mothers, our gogos, our kids, we are saying they must go to jail for 25 years. Those are racist, they must go to jail for 25 years. Our community are calling for such stricter laws. Children abusers and racist utterances, in particular perpetrators of rapes and racist remarks, should not be allowed. Kekana also promised that if voted, they will scrap provinces as well as trimming down the number of government departments. Kekana says the merged office of the Auditor General and Public Protector will then focus on uprooting corruption at local and national levels. That report by Neo Makuting. Our headlines up next with Ann Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF party has launched a scathing attack against South Africa's opposition DA leader, Musi Maimani, following his announcement that the party will approach the ICC to investigate the Zimbabwean government. The Mozambican parliament has lifted the immunity of former finance minister Manuel Chang held in South Africa since December under an international arrest warrant issued by the U.S. And the struggle for control of Venezuela has intensified as the government prepares an investigation that could lead to the arrest of self-declared interim president Juan Guaido. Those are the stories making headlines. In 1969, the Beatles staged an impromptu concert atop Apple headquarters in London. It was the group's last public performance. History, 1969. South Africa's President Sil Ramaphosa has urged business to ensure that it leads the way in transformation and assist in fighting corruption in the country. President Ramaphosa said this at a dialogue with members of Business Unity South Africa at Gallagher Estate, north of Johannesburg, on Tuesday. The interaction covered various issues, including the limping economy, dire state of some state-owned enterprises, as well as upskilling the workforce. Busi Chimombe was there. Well, Business Unity South Africa President Sipo Pichana emphasized that goodwill towards government had significantly increased since a decade ago. He was frank about concerns with the economy, government's escalating debt, uncertainty regarding certain policies, and the parlous state of state-owned enterprises and governance. The public sector wage bill and the runaway spend in the state system is a concern. The general efficiency of the state, we had a very detailed discussion around education uh, and training, great deal of interest and anxiety and concern that uh, if we can get that right, uh, there's a lot of things that we can do possibly. And we outlined the litany of uh, regulatory institutions, uh, things that we can do. For instance, the qualifications regime that we have is, is too rigid uh, and perhaps 
leads to a wastage of huge amount of skills because they go unrecognized. While Putana acknowledged that corruption does not reside exclusively in the public sector, he raised businesses' concern with its impact on the citizens. With the latest Transparency International rankings on perceptions of corruption having been released on Tuesday, President Cyril Ramaphosa said this should be the last time that South Africa is ranked as one of the most corrupt countries in the world. The report places the country 78 out of 180 countries surveyed. The president says mechanisms that are exposing wrongdoing must be supported. With this, we will all need to hold hands because, let's face it, there is also this notion that there are people who will fight back, who will resist. And as they will, because sometimes when you take away opportunities that they have used for wrong deeds, those who have benefited from them are going to fight back. They are going to resist. And so must we. So must we take them on as well. President Cyril Ramaphosa urged Musa to ensure that it leads the way in transformation. He stressed the difficulties many black people experience in the corporate world, which is seen as uninterested in changing its prejudiced ways. He said that if business self-regulates, it is unnecessary for people to call for harsher labor legislation and policies. You should not wait for government to come with a big stick. It should be the business, the corporate sector itself, that stands up and say, mate, you are not doing our side well. You should be doing A, B, C, D. And I'd like to see Abusa having a real compliance chamber or sector or desk that is the one that actually goes around and says, as a member of BUSA, as part of the corporate sector in South Africa, you are not complying. You, you should be doing A, B, C, D. Government and business have committed to working more closely together to eliminate the inhibitors to growing small businesses, find more structure in the way they collaborate, and skilling South Africans to be more competitive in the future world of work. That report by Busi Chamombe at Gallagher Estate in Johannesburg. Today, in 1933, Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. Going back in time, in 1933. A former Busasa COO, Angelo Agrizzi, has admitted to being a racist during his testimony before the state capture inquiry in Johannesburg. This emerged after a recording was played at the Zondo Commission in which he can be heard making racist remarks and using the K-word. Agrizzi also conceded that he lied when he said he was never granted an opportunity by the Sunday Times before it published an article about him. Abongile Dumako reports. Further revelations about former Busasa COO Angelo Agrizzi. Agrizzi's racist tirade can be heard in a recording made during a meeting with family members of his former boss, Gavin Watson. I'm embarrassed of myself. I'm ashamed of myself for ever doing that. But please, just understand the context. No sleep. I was besides myself. And I'm not going to make excuses. You can even hear me slow. I haven't made an excuse about this. But once again, Chair, I am a racist. I agree. Judge me on that. It's fine. 
Agrizi also says Watsine and his brothers offered him between 5 million and 10 million rand a year for five years to silence him on the alleged dirty dealings they had with government. This is what he had to say. I've seen it happen, but we work, I worked for quite a long time in the prison sector and yeah. dealing with people and speaking to people, they tell you these things. Whether they're stories or not, yes. they're pretty believable because there are many un, unexplained murders where these things have happened. Mm. So I don't put it past anybody. And the chairperson of the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, dismissed A.J. Gupta's application to cross-examine former Finance Minister Trevor Manuel. Lawyers for the Gupta family applied for the right to cross-examine Manuel about his upcoming testimony about former Minister Figile Mbalula's suspicions that Atul Gupta had unlawfully interfered in his appointment as sports minister. Justice Zondo had previously ruled that cross-examination by the Guptas will be done in South Africa. This is how he ruled on the matter. I've had the application brought by Mr. Ajay Gupta. Mr. Helens, who appeared on his behalf, presented argument in relation to the basis on which I previously dismissed his application for leave to cross-examine in the ruling that I made. Having listened to him, I am of the view that there is no basis for me to grant Mr. Ajay Guta leave to appeal, to cross-examine, because the hurdle which stood in his way in terms of that judgment remains. Meanwhile, the South African National Editors Forum, SANEF, says it welcomes the decision by the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture to investigate allegations that journalists were paid by Busasa. This follows testimony by Agrizi yesterday that the facilities management company bribed certain journalists to write positively about the company. And on the hot seat now is former Busasa CFO Andres Fantonder. He will continue with his testimony on Wednesday where he is expected to tell the commission about his involvement in the whole state capture saga. I am Abongile Dumago in Johannesburg. The global tourism and meetings industry will gather in Johannesburg, South Africa next month for the annual Meetings Africa, a business and events trade show. The travel and tourism industry continues to recognize Africa as a sought-after destination and Meetings Africa showcases the continent's diverse offering of services and products. This year marks the 14th installment of the show, which will take place at the Santon Convention Center on the 26th and 27th of February. More from the South African Tourism Chief Executive Officer, Sisa Njona. It's the sixth year of edition that we are really profiling uh, South Africa as a destination for global conferences, global meetings, uh, business events essentially. Uh, what's different this year is that we are actually amplifying um, the essence that this is an Africa trade show, not just South Africa, but the continent itself and this is where the continent really showcases its ability in terms of competencies in terms of delivering basically world-class um, conferencing facilities um, you'll see a lot more dynamism I think more um, we're always looking for more and different because 
we are competing with global destinations, you know, for business events, and we want to showcase to them as to why they should come to South Africa. It's got to be different. It's going to be relevant. It's got to be appropriate for the audience as well. And uh, as I said, we're looking forward at the end of February to have uh, this uh, meeting with Africa. Now, the whole continent will converge here come February. What do we say are some of the benefits for SAT to continue hosting, you know, events such as Meeting Africa? Well, the simple line is that when Africa wins, we win. Um, specifically around business events, the nature of the conferencing world is that it rotates, you know, so you hardly ever get the same conference with the same venue back to back. So therefore, the more conferencing capabilities there are on the continent, the better for us, because we get to retain those conferences basically on the African continent as well. So it gives us more, uh, you know, places to explore. Uh, also as well, the world is looking for unique and different. Um, they're looking for, you know, uh, beyond the ordinary. Look, you can host a conference anywhere in the world. They've got the infrastructure, they've got all the value chains. But what is it that we come that is different? And um, I'm always told that uh, South Africa's secret weapon is its people, right? Uh, our food, our flavors, our art, and actually people. And we want to bring all of that to the fore to make sure that we can showcase our lovely country. And how do small and medium enterprises benefit from attending and participating at the meetings in Daba? And what would you say are the benefits that come out for them? First of all is that we want them to be in the room so that A, they can have access. They can understand what it is that the world is looking for. B, that they can be innovative towards providing solutions to those challenges that the world has. SME is an integral part, but I always try to warn them, come prepared, come in the room, understand, listen, educate, inform yourself so that you can forge relationships, so that you can forge partnerships, collaboration that allows your product or your solution to actually be in the top shelf from that perspective. Because the more you can speak the language of the sector, the more acceptable you become in those spaces. That was South African Tourism CEO Sisan Jola speaking to Ntlanta Matlaung. Our economics update up next with Tabi Soluhoku. Good morning. Botswana's president, Demokhwiti Masisi, says his administration is committed to diversifying the economy despite being in the shadow of an economic powerhouse. He dismissed the talks that Botswana could find itself trapped in debt by China. Masisi has revealed he's not convinced that China is using loans as a part of its diplomacy to trap African countries. China's soft loans to Africa, marked by low interest rates and little oversight, have been viewed with suspicion by some observers, including the West, accusing the country of predatory lending. Namibia's finance minister, Kalesh Lutin, says that the government and private sector need to work together by setting up comprehensive and targeted actions to deal with the prolonged recession experienced over the past two years. He says as a country experienced an economic recession prevailing over 2018, marking a second year of contraction. The minister says that while the worst effects of the recession are assessed to be over, 
with moderate growth expected for 2019, the Namibian government and the private sector still need to come up with pro-growth actions for the economy. Nigeria's Minister of State for Petroleum Resources, Ibe Kachiku, says the federal government has commenced the tracking of Nigeria's crude oil output and is currently working with the Economic and Financial Crimes Commission to track vessels lifting crude oil from the country. Kichuku says that the federal government has acquired the capacity to monitor vessels operating in Nigeria. He says that already the monitoring exercise has spotted irregularities in the movement of some of the vessels mandated to lift crude oil from Nigeria. Tanzania plans to sell 200,000 cashew nuts as it seeks international markets. A Deputy Minister for Agriculture, Innocent Bashungwa, says that the government was now in talks with international buyers. Bashungwa said this in Parliament during a question-and-answer session. Group Chief Executive Officer of South Africa's Bank, APSA, will retire at the end of February. Maria Ramos has been CEO since 2009. She has led the bank through significant milestones, including acquiring Barclays Africa subsidiary banks, the sell-down and the start of separation from Barclays, establishing a new strategy as a standalone financial institution, as well as brand refresh in South Africa. The APSA board has appointed Rene van Veek as the interim chief executive with effect from the 1st of March. The U.S. dollar is trading at 360.39, Nigerian Nara. It's at 10.22, Botswana Pula. 100 Kenyan shilling 4 cents and at 11.91 Zambian guacha. In Brex currencies, 1 US dollar will cost you 3.74 Brazilian roll, a 66.16 Russian ruble, 71.8 Indian rupee, 6.75 Chinese yuan and a 13.63 South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and at 87 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,312, platinum $811 pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is at $61.55 a barrel. I'm Tabi Sodohoku and you're listening to Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update, we're kicking off with football news. Ivorian Football Federation, the FIF official, says they have accepted an offer from KEF to host the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations instead of the 2021 finals. The decision was made after a meeting between KEF President Ahmed Ahmed and Ivorian President Alassane Ouattara with Ivorian Football Federation officials also in attendance. The 2019, 2021 and 2023 editions were awarded to Cameroon, Ivory Coast and Guinea respectively five years ago, but the Cameroonians were stripped off the hosting rights for this year's tournament after delays in preparation. 
Egypt will now host the finals, which starts on the 21st of June, with Cameroon to hold the event in 2021, Ivory Coast in 2023, and Guinea in 2025. The FIF appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport over the changing of dates, but will now withdraw its appeal. South African first division side Jomo Cosmos advanced to the last 16 round of the Netbank Cup after defeating Baroka FC 1-0 in the last 32 at the Peter Mugaba Stadium in the Limpopo province last night. Cosmos are the fourth national first division side to qualify for the last 16 stage. Jomo Cosmos coach Jomo Son says the tough competition in the lower leagues prepares them better against PSL teams and he hopes for a favorable draw in the next round. And the difference with between the two leagues is that there it's more of fitness. You know, they, they, they chase you there, they pressurize you there for 90 minutes. Here, they guide you, they give you space to look up and play. I mean, you could see the first goal, it was 1-1. The guy looked up, cross, goal. They, they, there's a lot of space when you play PSL teams. There's no space in the NFT, no space. They don't allow you to. It's a bit difficult. The Cup is difficult. Last last year we beat Vets, we knocked Vets out. Uh, We just hope we get an easy draw so that we can go up. Baroka coach Wetsin Nirenda says all the focus should be on getting out the danger zone on the upside premiership now. The Zambian-born coach also adds that his players' decision-making needs to improve. We're very sluggish in uh, making decisions uh, on the ball and uh, off the ball. The runs were not timely today. Uh, some of the offside uh, decisions were clear uh, from the referees because we were not we were not uh, doing it right. And uh, the time that we should put the the balls across, we were not putting the balls uh, in, a, in an effective way. Uh, we were hitting the crosses to to the goalkeeper, who was very good at that uh, that day. Springbok 7's forward Zane David says the team still harbors ambition of being the top team on the HSBC World Rugby 7 Series, but it is important for them to stick to the processes ahead of the Sydney leg of the series this weekend. The Blitzbokke are currently in fourth place on the World Series standings on 44 points and 13 points adrift of series leaders Fiji, who won the, in Hamilton. I think we all have one goal and it's to become top, but I think... As for process, we just want the processes and stick it together as a team, even if it goes wrong or right. Just there for each other, backing each other, and we know we can trust our brothers in the circle and play for each other. So I think that's the biggest thing, the biggest role for all, all, all of us. A former junior Springbok, David started all the matches in Hamilton at prop ahead of regular captain Philip Snayman. And David says the three years serving his apprenticeship in the side has helped him with his confidence in knowing he can fill Sneeman's boots. I think it's like one of the great opportunities that I'm starting and in the position of Philip though, he's a captain and he wanted he's actually happy for me because he wants a good competition in the team so I can stand up and fulfill what I'm fulfill his boots and not just his boots, my boots and, and with the teams. I think over the, the past three years, it's just given me more confidence to start um, all, uh, all, most of the games. And I think I can just use that confidence by starting each game and getting experience and teaching the younger guys coming into the system, teach them also the stones and the roots. 
And finally, tennis news, former world number one Victoria Azarenka set up a second round clash with Australian Open runner-up Petra Kitova in St. Petersburg with a straight sets win over Margarita Gasparian. The Belarusian, who was dumped out in the first round at Melbourne Park by Germany's Laura Sigmund, eased to a 6-4-6-1 victory against the Russian qualifier. Next up for Azarenka will be top seed Kitova, who was beaten in a thrilling Australian Open final by Naomi Osaka on Saturday. A 29-year-old has tumbled down the ranking since the birth of her son, Leo, and an ensuing custody battle and is currently the world number 51. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, Cameroon deploys more troops along its border with Central African Republic. And UN says at least 40 people have been killed in recent violence in Venezuela. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org. WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is the late James Ingraham who passed away yesterday. He's a U.S. R&B singer and songwriter and he died in Los Angeles at the age of 66 the song is titled Someone Like You. May his soul rest in peace. Oh, yeah.